everyone, and welcome to the Master of Global Health Delivery, or MGHD, podcast at the University of Global Health Equity. This podcast is an opportunity for MGHD students in the health management, gender, sexual, and reproductive health, and One Health tracks to discuss topics we're passionate about, both within and outside of the classroom. We'll be rotating hosts for each topic, so you'll have someone new to listen to every time. Hello, welcome, salam, and namaste to the second episode of the Masters in Global Health Delivery podcast at the University of Global Health Equity in Rwanda. I'm Rachel Vergus from the Gender, Sexual, and Reproductive Health track of the class of 2022. I'm quite delighted to be your host for this episode. In celebration of World Health Day 2022, the theme of which is Our Planet, Our Health. We have invited Evelyn Bijini, a student in the One Health track of the master's program here at UGHE. Evelyn trained as a registered nurse in the United States and studied global health in the Netherlands last year. We're delighted to have you with us, Evelyn. Tell us a little more about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Evelyn Grace Bugini. Um, I'm from New Jersey in the in the U.S. So, and both my parents are from uh, New York City. And so, growing up, I had you know this different idea. Like a lot of people from different places were um, were around me. I knew you know people moved from a lot of you know all over the world to to kind of the New York like metropolitan area, mm-hmm. um, and. So I also really wanted to work like alongside people, you know, like in kind of to help them. But I think as I've grown up more like in solidarity with them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I went to nursing school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was there, I really felt like the work in the hospital was was important. And it is, you know, saving people's lives. But um, yeah, of course, I mean, and it's it's really, really important. And I think the, the people who work there really like deserve, you know, care and, and respect too. Yeah. Um, but I was really concerned with what happens um, to people before and after they leave uh, the hospital. So in particular, I had um, a patient who he was unhoused and, and yeah, I was, um, you know, I was assigned to be his student nurse for, for some weeks. And, mm-hmm. and I just tried to, to be there um, with him. And I think, I think that was a really formative experience um, for me. And, and I hope I provided, you know, some comfort, but I don't know, you know, how much, um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so I was this interested in community health and global health. And um, so then last year, I was really fortunate to go to the Netherlands and study global health. And um, that was a really big moment for me to learn more about environmental health and, and migration in the context of health. So yeah, and then um, I had followed Partners in Health for a while and and just saw that UGAG was was posting um, for for applicants. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes, for UGAG, um, equity is key. <laughs> um, yes, equity is equity is key. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got here. From the U.S. to the Netherlands to Rwanda, and here atop Butaro, these mountains here. We are so lucky to have you. It's, it's, it's so good to have you around in the cohort too, to have you, your perspectives and a very calming 
influence definitely on campus so tell me when did you decide that you wanted to be a one health practitioner yeah and tell us something about one health what is yeah. what is this all about yeah. yeah 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 thank you so one health is this like transdisciplinary multi sectoral those are the you know the wow, words that are words. used i know big <laughs> words <laughs> um like this concept that takes into account human, animal, and environmental health and their intersections, mm-hmm. um, which I think for me was something that I was like, oh, you know, I'm a nurse, I'm trained in human health, like what do I know about animal health and, and environmental health? But, um, you know, these problems, one health problems can be as broad as like climate change and as, you know, this this thing that's always in the news and always, you know, impacts local communities or I sometimes even think about one health in even more like silly scenarios so for example for yeah 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 so um for any students or anyone who's been on the Butaro campus here you know that there are these crows um yeah the crows um near where where we eat you know breakfast lunch and dinner and for anyone listening um who at least for me, like crows have always been these kind of like blackbirds. They're kind of large, but not too much. But the ones here are, they even, you know, look like they have tuxedos on. Yeah. I always think that they got to crows because they have these white. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. They, yeah. And they're really, you know, something. They have these like claw feet. Anyway, but um, so with the crows, it's, it could be a one health problem because we focus on, these are animals that are now very close to humans. Um, birds, you know, carry disease or can carry disease. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going around human food, which isn't necessarily good for them. That's not what they've evolved to eat. Mm-hmm. And also we don't want their uh, like bacteria or pathogens that they may naturally harbor mm-hmm. to uh we don't want to ingest them. Yeah, exactly. And it's also an environmental health concern, you know, because they, um, their feathers and, you know, stuff gets everywhere and they might, you know, take over, um, they're intimidating to the small birds. So <laughs> there's this one crew right outside my door in the dorms and it's there in the morning and it's cowing outside our classmate Mihigo's room and like it's a loud cow and yeah poor Mihigo because he's a night owl and he's like up till night and he wakes up like in the afternoon and then this there's this crow waking him up like loud cows like at like 8 and then 7 30 in the morning and I'm like what do you want to convey exactly Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, a bit about, about One Health and, and for how I got into One Health, I think it really started with, um, I, th- I learned more about like the concept named as One Health, I would say in the Netherlands last year. So I had a thesis supervisor um, who is very much interested in One Health. She focuses on um, One Health in Sri Lanka. And so she taught me a lot about you know, one what One Health is or even planetary health, which is an associated, you know, planetary health, climate change, One Health, they are all kind of oriented the same way. So, um, but she taught me more about like nature-based solutions and ecosystem services, which are some specific topics in 
um, in this kind of environmental health realm um, connected with human health. So, and then I did my thesis last year on New York City community gardens and how they contribute to uh, food security and maybe other other benefits. So, and through that and speaking with people, I kind of learned more about One Health in practice. Community gardens in New York. Now that sounds very, very interesting. What exactly and where exactly were these community gardens and what were they growing? Yeah. Yeah, so it's really interesting how community gardens in New York started. Um, They actually started as like a social justice type movement because, yeah, yeah. So New York has this really rich history with with community gardens that started in the 1970s. some uh, gardeners, including someone called Liz Christie, they started throwing seed bombs into, oh, wow. um, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know. Like were they throwing seed bombs into people's gardens? or? Oh, no. So, yeah. So it was um, in these vacant lots. So basically what had happened was New York was going through a financial crisis. Um, so what happened was there were all these vacant lots where, you know, buildings had been or they became you know demolished or yeah they were abandoned or even there were a lot of uh, there were some fires and so um basically community groups or communities just they really wanted to um create their own space and kind of rejuvenate from the ground up there's actually this really good report that I suggest anyone, you know, if you're interested, um, it's called From the Ground Up. And it's it's a it talks about New York City community gardens and, and their history. And I think it's so interesting to look at contextually, you know, what these gardens meant to people and their struggle against inequity and even um, even this uh, like neoliberalism in the city, um, which, you know, community gardens are more this community base that that people have relied upon, um, particularly communities of color. And um, there are has been redlining um, in the U.S., which which was basically forced uh, segregation um, by race. And and so these community gardens historically provided a source of more like healthy, you know, fruits and vegetables to, yeah, alternatives. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it's, but it's hard. So actually, if you think about what the gardens look like, they, uh, it's sad, but the soil in New York is highly contaminated from industry. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you hope that the ground would be able to, you know, grow something. Um, But so, Community gardens are frequently, they use these raised beds. So people, you know, uh, there's actually the community group, um, Green Thumb provides soil to to people. But um, yeah, so they are dispersed throughout the city. There are different neighborhoods that have more, um, particularly like the Lower East Side. Um, And yeah, they grow a lot, a lot of different things. So people were really, it was so cool to hear what all was growing in New York City, like. Um, a place that has so many people from so many different places. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. It's like it's such a migrant city. I would, yeah. I would imagine all types of things there. Yeah, I think, and it was really, for the people who I was speaking to, they were telling me, you know, their story. And they were saying that it was really empowering to be able to grow things that maybe their, you know, 
their parents had grown or their grand. Yes. So like reminded them of home, particularly Puerto Rican communities, um, communities from, you know, various places in the uh, Caribbean. Um, I spoke with, with families who, or with someone who described his family as part of the great migration, which was people who were um, formerly enslaved. So black Americans moving from the South during Jim Crow um, to the North. So anyway, but people really found this connection to the gardens and the soil. And so they grew um, things that reminded them of home or so anyway, there were a lot of tomatoes. Um, tomatoes. Yeah. But, uh, I so imagine pops of red in the middle of concrete. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So po pops of, of red and green um, and people grew things like gooseberries and blueberries. Yeah. Um, but they also grew things that, you know, what I was kind of talking about. So like peppers and garlic for sofrito um, mm. or Oh, it's very, yeah. Yes, I miss yeah. my uncles. I miss my, my uncle Sofrito. Thank you, Alberto. Um, but so, yeah, another um, community garden leader told me about this guy who uh, goes to his community garden and grows these like massive Bangladeshi squash. Um, yeah. I, I can quite imagine a Bangladeshi squash. Oh, all the things that can be made of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. It was um, it was cool to hear about all the different things that were growing in New York. You know, I'm I'm South Indian by origin. Uh, I'm a Malayali, and I do know there's a huge diaspora out there in the U.S. So I can imagine if it is a Malayali having a community garden, and this is true for anywhere in the world that if a Malayali has a, a small patch of land, he will definitely grow tapioca, which is called okay. cassava over here. It's like it's like a way, and if you if you see tapioca growing, it's a way of saying your Malayali without saying it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Yeah, and I think I think another important point, um, just before you know we we go on, is that this land um, that's Manhattan or is was called Manhattan, and um, the indigenous people who lived there and and still, I mean. These people are still living in these areas. Um, there the, was the Lenape uh, people, so that also where, where I'm from, um, you know, the ancestral and unceded lands of um, New Jersey. So I think it's also fascinating thinking about, you know, gardening and growing food and thinking about this context of, like, I talked about the soil being toxic and, and people grew food here for, for centuries. So... Yeah, I think there's just a lot of intersections in this kind of One Health approach. Yeah, it's quite interesting from a financial crisis sprouts gardens all over uh, all over one of the world's biggest metropolitan yeah. cities. Uh, I'm I'm thinking like seed bombs are the bombs we need. Yeah. <laughs> seed bombs, everyone. Really? Yeah? yeah. So so tell me, um, can you give us like a particular instance of One Health? that you've put in practice, you know, uh, and you've seen it grow and, you know, yeah. can you tell us something about yeah, that? Yes. Yeah. yeah, so I actually didn't really realize it <laughs> until um, until kind of after the fact. But so I said, like I said, I was interested in this more community health aspect in nursing school. And I really liked working with children. Like I think children, they are so insightful. And <laughs> there's, 
even... Yes, they do say the dumbest things. They do. They do. Like, I was working with these kids, and um, it was the middle of summer and really hot in Pittsburgh, and we were talking about food, so I guess this actually, you know, ties back to food, but... Um, You're making me hungry, anyway. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, this is a lot of food, <laughs> food and, like, nice fruits and vegetable conversation. Yes. Um, but they, they were... We started laughing so much because it was, like hot and you know the middle of summer and um I started laughing and I feel like anyone who maybe if you know me like if yes. I start laughing I like it's I contagious. laugh I laugh a lot and it like contagious. it's not like it's a wholehearted type laugh so um yeah so my face turned like this bright red and and these kids were like Miss Evelyn, you look like a tomato. So at least they remembered, you know, tomatoes. But anyway, so I worked with these kids and we did this um, uh, community health, like liberal arts education curriculum development and implementation and, and uh, coordination with the food bank and these two community organizations in Pittsburgh. So, um, yeah, we, you know, we were trying to improve um, – or just advocate for the kids to maybe go outside and play or, you know, we were trying to teach about, you know, healthy food recipes. Now, looking back, it, I don't know how important the teaching actually was because oh, there were these. It's important. Yeah, but. Go out and yeah, play. Yes. yeah, yeah. Children but don't do that anymore. Exactly, exactly. Well, I, I do definitely think that's a role, but there were these really structural factors that were also limiting like children's ability to get healthy food in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so the closest grocery store was a 30-minute bus ride away. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think about like single parents trying to do that, oh, it's just, um, yeah. So, and then also another environmental kind of thing that I realized while we were trying to implement this program is that we were trying to get the kids, you know, outside to play. And, and just as what you said, Rachel, play is so important. It's actually therapy, you know, mm -hmm. for kids. Um, but in this area of Pittsburgh, due to redlining and environmental racism and injustice, um, there's much more air pollution in this area. And mm -hmm. so it was actually unsafe for many of the days for the kids to go outside um, for their respiratory health. So you know, it was kind of this thing of, well, we want the kids to be active and play outside, but we can't bring them outside because the air isn't, you know, isn't good enough. You know, that that kind of reminds me of a rhyme I used to sing as a child. Uh, and I'm from India, so the monsoon is big. So, uh, so rain, rain, go away because little Johnny wants to play. Come again another day. <laughs> little Johnny wants to play. And it's and it's it's quite tragic that uh, now the children, um, there's no rain uh, and the children want to play and want to go outside and play and I can't and they can't because it's the air and the air is, you know, kind of poisoning everyone around so bad enough that you can't go out and do something as as small and as trivial as play. You know, you can't do that. Yeah, and I think, you know, even thinking about the air here, like, I remember getting off off the plane um, in Rwanda and thinking, wow, this air is so, it smells so sweet um, in comparison to back at home. And yeah, just, I think, I think it's really cool thinking about how the environment impacts 
our like mental health or, you know, how we're experiencing our day to day lives. Definitely. The Butaro air is, is sweet. It's very refreshing. I, I do not miss Bombay's air at all. <laughs> I don't miss the smell. And, you know, but then, yeah, there's there's something rejuvenating about being in these mountains, you know, high up in the north northern province of uh, Rwanda. And I'm like, wow, uh, it, it it's a delight to wake up every day to be able. And I, and I also do think it is a privilege, isn't it, to be able to you know, to be experiencing this fresh air, good quality, uh, no vehicular traffic or pollution or noise and to be here in these mountains. So, yeah, I, we should get more children here. <laughs> it would be a delight, right? Yeah. 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 And I think something that you just said is, you know, it's, it's a privilege. And, and I do think that we, I think it also should be a right. Like I think people should have the right to live in, in environments that support their health instead of harm them. So, you know, something I'm really interested in is like these these intersections. Um, and it goes back to One Health, like how everything is all connected. And it's, for me, it's this intersection between mental health, um, you know, especially for children, like adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. in connection with climate change and migration and um, indigenous health and rights. And mm-hmm. and I think when we learn from a One Health approach, we can better see that there are a lot of overlaps in, you know, in people's lives. And we don't live in these silos um, of human health, you know, so... So, yeah, when when you said a privilege, I also think it is. I mean, unfortunately, it is it is a privilege today, but but hopefully it could be, you know, well, it is a right. And hopefully we can try to accomplish that. Right. Yes, definitely. And it is so fascinating to think uh, that all of these interlinkages, whether it's migration, whether it's homelessness, whether it's community gardens, mental health, children not being able to go out and play, how much of this affects our daily lives? And unconsciously, you know, we're living this life and just going on about it. But, and then you have One Health, this, this concept here, which is telling you, bring it all together and you can find solutions and that are more sustainable and more long-term. So tell me, I mean, how 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 can we, um, you know, as regular daily living people, the common people, you know, practice, uh, you know, uh, you know, the good habits that One Health is you know, advocating, you yeah. know, in our personal daily lives and our daily routines professionally? Yeah. What do you suggest? Yeah, so I think for me... Um, I don't really like telling people, you know, what, you know, what they should do um, or things like that. But I think Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, um, she has this really cool framework that are these interlocking um, kind of like Venn diagrams. And so to address the climate crisis, she asked people, what brings you joy? What, um, you know, what does the world need? And then what are you good at? So in the context of One Health, like the world needs climate change and social justice approaches. And Dr. Johnson says that in in her model. Um, but then I think the other things are like, you know, what do you enjoy? Like I, 
Um, I know some people love having conversations. Like I know, you know, you and I, we were friends beyond, you know, beyond this podcast. So can talk for a long time. And, um, and, you know, you're in the GSRH track and you're good at that. And so maybe something that, you know, you could do, for example, is thinking about how One Health could be applied with with gender. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there are gender um, analyses. I mean, just like how there's gender analyses to everything there, I think there are also One Health analyses to everything. So the more we can kind of promote bringing people together and saying, you know, we all have these different fields, these different backgrounds. And, and I think like this, I mean, analysis of power should, should be used. Like maybe we don't want to bring in giant oil companies and things like that. Um, but, but I think everyone has a role that they can play to help kind of solve this climate crisis or deal with it or, or adapt to it. Yes. You be the one health supergirl. <laughs> and I'm the gender sexual reproductive health supergirl. <laughs> yeah, UGH could do with a lot more of us uh, advocating for these uh, very many issues which are, you know, conveniently sidelined, you know, yeah. uh, in by, by policymakers. Uh, they're ignored and, you know, we bear the brunt of that. That 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 brings me to the next point. What do you where do you see yourself in the future? What do you see yourself doing? Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah so for me, um, I think I I might have mentioned this before, but I'm really interested in mental health and and I think mental health beyond just the clinical you know diagnosis from a book, but but how people you know are experiencing mm-hmm. their their daily life and how can societally we improve that. Um, I think people, you know, have their inter- individual interventions that we can provide people. So for example, medication management, if, you know, if they need it and talk therapy and things like that, but there are also these broader social things that I think as a society, like we, you know, we need to do, like people deserve to have access to, to nature and people deserve to have access to fresh food. And those have both been used as mental health interventions in the past. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's one way that we can maybe promote health is there are actually these like food prescriptions in the U S and, and if people have, um, are, have financial assistance from the government to purchase food, it actually goes twice as far at farmer's markets compared to other places because that's like fresh produce. But, you know, how could we make it so people don't, like, we don't need to give um, fresh food and access to nature out, you know, on, as yeah, as a prescription. Exactly, exactly. So I... Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, and yeah, we talk about microbiota. Yeah, I mean, we could keep going and going. But so I'm interested in um, in mental health. And um, so I'd like to be a mental health nurse practitioner, um, a psych mental health nurse practitioner. And maybe this is, you know, also like far flung, but I'm, I'm interested in research and kind of thinking critically about how we're framing problems and and how we're analyzing them. So I'm really interested in these intersections that I talked about previously of like mental health, you know, children's and social wellness and like social bonds. um, And then also like um, rights for migration and indigenous health. And, and I think looking at, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's a lot, but I think. I love those 
Oh, thanks. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I feel like they've taken, I mean, small things like I don't, I don't want to tell anyone else's, you know, story, like that's not my role. Um, but I have had like, I mean, and that's not a but, it's like, I don't want to tell anyone's story. And um, I've had like some experiences, you know, working with people um, from different backgrounds. And, and I think sometimes we put these silos up, like what I was talking about. For So for example, like migration and um, indigenous rights. And I think like, okay, a lot of people, you know, maybe migrating to the United States from Central America, um, they're asylum seekers, they're looking for, you know, safety, um, in part because of imperialist policies that the U.S. has used. But, um, but anyway, they're, you know, a lot of these people are of, could be of indigenous backgrounds from Central America. And we're also, um, there's this phrase in the U.S. that, that protesters have used, and it's like, no one is illegal on stolen land because the U.S. is also like a settler colonialist state. So I think there are just a lot of these intersections um, that may not always be obvious in common rhetoric, but maybe we could, you know, try to analyze them together. Definitely. And Evelyn, I must say this, your dreams, your aspirations. Um, I love the way you think because you're thinking not just, you know, of your own career progression, but you're thinking for people around who do not have this privilege, but who are struggling everyday living. And you're thinking about them, you're thinking for them and uh, you want to do something about it. And, you know, I, I, I love your passion in you know, in which you're trying to see how you can contribute to making, you know, yeah. as cliched as it sounds, to making this world a better place. Thank you. Thank you so much for this very, very enriching conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just, just one last thing is, um, there's really the spirit of collaboration. So like, I, um, I am really passionate about these topics, but mm -hmm. I want to like help support people and listen to people and ask what they need and, you know, I think that's also, you know, part of One Health is this community engagement. So, um, yeah, not not doing anything like for someone, but hopefully doing something with someone. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for that very enriching conversation, Evelyn. Um, human health and equity in daily life are closely tied to the richness of our biodiversity and our co coexistence with flora and fauna. Thank you so much, Evelyn, for being part of this podcast and for a very lively conversation. And I realize where your love for Paneer Tikka comes from. <laughs> You're from New Jersey. New Jersey. Oh. <laughs> and for everyone listening, thank you. Thank you and stay tuned for our next episode. This is Rachel Burgess signing off.